You know, we've already had some people register, praise God. You know, this whole Campus Days is really to minister to you and to bless you and to help you. But I just know that this Bible college is a large part of what God wants to do in many people's lives. And so we unashamedly are promoting it because when people come in one way, they leave a different way. I don't know how that works. It's kind of like, isn't it the bees? I still get this confused. Is it the bees or the ants that you take just a regular worker bee and you feed it this royal jelly and it becomes the queen of the hive? And you know, it's, it's, you, you get people in here and it doesn't matter what you think your gifts or callings are. You get fed the Word of God for two years and you wind up going out and being somebody that changes the world. And it doesn't matter if you've ever seen yourself as a world changer or not. The Word of God will change your life and make a huge difference. So we're excited and we are encouraging. We've got a, a place someplace over there, I think, where you can sign up. And uh, Friday we are going to have a special uh, session at the end of this where we have a lot of people available for you to sign up. And I encourage you that if God is speaking to you to take that step of faith and put in a registration and just see what God will do. All right, we're going to have Delron Shirley come share. And like I said, he was the director of Lassie Bible College in uh, Indiana for 25 years. And he and his wife Peggy are a regular part of the school here. They minister, and I tell you, they are a blessing. And he's got a vision for the world. He's traveled to more places than I'll ever probably travel. And God uses him all over the world and just has a lot of wisdom in him. And so we're going to ask Delron to come and share. Amen. Well, what a wonderful privilege to get to, to share today and to meet all these new folks that are here looking at the school. Uh, when I was praying about what uh, the, the Lord would have me to share, I uh, felt like it was uh, in direction to help you to know how to know that you know God's will when you make decisions. So that uh, as you're making that decision about coming to Bible school, that you know that you're in God's will for it. Uh, however, after Andrew shared uh, in the first hour here, I was just thinking, hey, let's just cancel my session and just let everybody go out to the registrations tables and go ahead and get registered, you know, because, you know, if you listen to what Andrew was saying, if you understood what he was sharing, uh, then you're pretty well sure that uh, the decisions you're going to make are God's decisions for you. Uh, but what I, since the time is allotted to me, I will take some time and share a little bit with you. Um, what I'm going to share is uh, one segment out of one of the classes that my wife and I teach together here in the Bible school. And we do a class on marriage. One of the uh, sessions that we do is on uh, how to know the will of God, because obviously when you're going to get married, you better be in the will of God if you're going to do that, right? And uh, so we share about uh, directions that you can follow to make sure that you are knowing that it's God's will. However, like I said... It is a class that we do together, my wife and I. And another thing that we share in that class is the difference between men and women. The difference between men and women is that women speak about 22,000 words a day and men speak less than 10,000 words a day. 
And so when we get up here for our one hour to teach on how to know the will of God, I very rarely get a chance to say much. <laughs> you know, because she's using her 22,000 words. And uh, so uh, there are a lot of things that even though the first and second year students here uh, who are in the class have heard this lesson, uh, we didn't get to give all the points because you, had to, you got to listen to what Peggy said uh, during that time. And so, uh, so this is my time without interruption. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Let me just preface everything else. That, that you might be thinking about concerning Bible College, uh, that uh, there's a place out in California called Disneyland. And uh, when they uh, created Disneyland, uh, they put a marquee across the uh, front entrance that said, the happiest place on earth. Do you know why they put that on Disneyland? Because Caris uh, Bible College hadn't been created at that time. <laughs> But now that Karis Bible College is in operation, I think that they're going to have to go back and take down the marquee. Uh, and so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you're looking for a place where that you can really get into the joy of the Lord, I encourage you that you would really consider this place. Anyway, how many of you have a left hand? Good. I'm always careful not to do this sermon at a veterans hospital, you know, with the Iraqi war veterans or anything, you know, because uh, it would be embarrassing. But uh, in most situations, people do have a left hand. And if you have a left hand, I guarantee you, you can always know the will of God. And if you'll keep your left hand with you, you can always make sure that you have a grip on the will of God for your life. Uh, the reason that I say that is because that your left hand... Uh, will always be a reminder of what it is that God is doing in your life to help you understand what He wants you to do and how He wants you to follow Him. Uh, the uh, zoologists tell us that the difference between humans and other monkeys and apes and primates is our movable thumb. Have you ever thought about that that is the only difference that the biologist thinks different from you and a monkey? that you have a movable thumb. Have you ever noticed, you know, you go to the zoo and you look at the chimpanzees or the gorillas or whatever and they pick up something, they pick it up like this. You know, you pick it up, you put your thumb around it. That's because that we have a movable thumb. And the movable thumb is a very, very important difference between us and apes. Now, I wouldn't say it's the only difference between us and apes, you know, because those people don't believe in the Bible. Those people who say that believe in evolution, and they think that just when we evolved a movable thumb, that that made us in a different category. I mean, after all, now we can use cell phones, you know, because we've got <laughs> movable thumbs. Okay, but uh, the difference between man and ape, according to biology, is that we have movable thumbs. And with that movable thumb... Uh, it shows something that makes us unique. And as people who are in the will of God, who are operating in the will of God, who have God living and working in our lives, there's something unique in us that other people don't have. And that thing is the Word of God. The Word of God is something that overrides everything else that might ever be operating in your life. Think about your thumb. Your thumb is the only finger on your hand that naturally laps over all the rest of your fingers. I mean, try it. 
you know, unless you're some kind of contortionist, the rest of your fingers, you just cannot make them naturally lap over the rest of your fingers. However, the thumb just naturally laps over all the rest of the fingers. And that's the reason that the thumb represents the Word of God. Because the Word of God laps over everything else. Now, I'm going to give you four other indicators to know when you're in the will of God. But those other indicators, if they are not under the covering of the Word of God, they could be false indicators. And so the first thing that you're always going to want to know when you're trying to make a decision in life is does it line up with the Word of God? If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, then you're not going to make a decision. It's going to be in the will of God. There's a man who tried to find out the will of God for his life. And so he said, having heard that the Word of God was going to tell him how to know the will of God, he said, okay, well, I'm going to, to do this. I'm going to find out from the, word, from the Word of God what the will of God for my life is. So he grabbed his Bible and he opened it up and he uh, saw a verse that said, uh, and Judas went out and hanged himself. Oh, well, let's try again. So he found another verse and he looked at it at random and it said, go and do ye likewise. So, well, let's try again. And then on the third time that he flipped his Bible open, it says, and what you do, do quickly. And then he remembered that the Word of God also says that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, then every, let every testimony be confirmed. And so he understood that the will of God for him was to go out and hang himself just as quickly as he could. Well, that's what you call Bible roulette. That's just you know, opening the Bible and just doing it at random. And that's not what I'm talking about when I'm saying that the Word of God will tell you what the will of God is. But the Word of God is God's breathed direction for our lives. And we need to learn how to get our lives in order with the Word of God so that when we are making any decision, that it is a decision that's based on what's really taught in here. Now, a gentleman came to me one time and he says, Well, you know, Brother Delron, I hear you say that the Word of God can direct me in every decision I want to make. And I said, yes, I believe that. And then he says, well, I'm thinking about buying a new car. And uh, so he says, how is the Word of God going to tell me that I should go buy a new car? And I said, oh, it's simple. You know, if you want to be a spirit-filled Christian, then you just need to go get yourself a Honda. Because in the book of Acts, it says that the people in the upper room, that they were all together with one accord. And uh, so... <laughs> You know, if you get a Honda, then you're, you know, get the Accord Honda, then you are, you know, going to be a Spirit-filled Christian. You're going to be living in the power of the, of, the, of the Spirit of God. It'll be great for you. And I said, no, seriously, let's take a look at the Word of God. Let's take a journey through the Word of God, and let's see if you really are a candidate to go out and buy a new car today. So he said, okay, let's do it. So I said, well, one of the things that the Bible tells us is that uh, we are to be tithers. And I said, if you were to go buy this new car and you obligate yourself to car payments, what is that going to do to your tithing support for your church? And he said, it won't do anything because, you know, I'm committed to tithing and, I, and what I'm going to do with this car is going to be outside of my, you know, tithing. I'm not going to interfere with that. And so, therefore, uh, you know, it won't affect it in any way. And I said, okay, well, that's good. Checkpoint number one. I said, now, what about the second point? What about that the Scripture says that we should also be people who give free will offerings? I said, if you obligate yourself to a car payment, is that going to hinder you from being able to give free will offerings? And he says, no, no, I'm committed to supporting missionaries and whatever. He says, it's not going to interfere with that at all. So then I said, okay, now third point. 
Scripture tells us that we should be alms givers, people who give alms to people who are in need, people who have uh, uh, you know, orphans or widows or people who are out of work because of, uh, uh, of an extended illness or something. And what about, uh, are you an alms giver and is that going to affect you? And he says, no, that won't affect my finances at all because I am committed to those things and so therefore I still have money outside that to buy myself a car. And I says, another thing the scripture tells us is that uh, a man who doesn't support his own family is worse than an infidel. I said, is this going to interfere with paying your kids' tuition, buying your, uh, your wife uh, you know, a nice new dress every now and then, and taking care of all the expenses you have at your house? He says, no, it won't. So I said, well, then there's no problem at all, you see, because the thing that is in the Scripture is not really about buying a car but it's about disciplining our finances. And if you can discipline your finances and you know that you can do everything that God is asking you to do with your finances, then He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be able to have sufficiency to give to every good work and then also an abundance out of which that you can live. And so He said, well, now I begin to understand something. I begin to understand that the decision that I'm making is not really just about buying a car but it's about disciplining my whole life. And I said, that's the point. I want you to make sure that you understand how to discipline your life. And if you've disciplined your life according to the Word of God, then He wants you to be blessed so that you can fulfill all the desires of your heart. If the desire of your heart is to have a new car, then at that point, go out and get yourself a new car as long as it doesn't interfere with the discipline that God wants you to have over the resources that he's put in your hand. And so it was like a bright light just came on. The Ford Better Idea light bulb came on. And he understood that, yes, the Word of God can speak to me in every aspect of my life, any decision I want to make. Even though the Bible may not specifically talk about a car, but it does talk about the discipline of our life that precedes the ability for us to then go out and invest in a car. And so then he says, well, you know, uh, I understand that I'm to be blessed. God wants me to be blessed. Uh, he says, blessed coming in and blessed going out, blessed in the city and blessed in the country. And uh, so if I'm going in a car rather than on foot, then I can go in and out more quickly and I can go into more cities and more countries so I can be even more blessed. I said, yes, sir, I think that's exactly what the Bible wants you to do. The Scripture wants you to be blessed. And for you to be able to be blessed going in and blessed coming out, blessed going into the city, blessed coming into the country, then in all those places, you can even go to more places and have more blessing and spread more blessing by having this new car. So he went out and bought himself a new car. Of course, there was one question that came up in the middle of that conversation. Because in the book of Acts, it talks about Abraham, and it said that uh, he was blessed every place that he put his foot. And uh, so he says, maybe I should be walking. And I says, well, actually, if you're going to walk, it takes two feet. And uh, in the car, you can move with just using one foot on the gas. And so the Bible says that you should be blessed wherever you put your foot and not where you put your feet. And so I think you're supposed to be driving this new car. And so he went out and got himself a new car. All right. Okay. Uh, I, had a, uh, I have a, had a lot of people uh, because working in college uh, work, you know, you work with people who are at that age where they're thinking about getting married. And I've had lots and lots and lots of people come to me and ask about uh, how can I know concerning making the decision to get married? 
And uh, one uh, guy, it was really fortunate because he was uh, thinking about uh, marrying a girl whose name was Mary. And I says, oh, good, this is easy. This is an easy one. The Bible says, fear not and to take unto thee Mary as thy wife. And so I said, since the Bible says that you can marry Mary, go ahead and marry Mary. Uh, but uh, generally, the scripture doesn't have the girl's name in it or the guy's name in it. So how are you going to know from the word of God if... This is the right person for you. And I say, the Word of God tells us not so much about the individual person, but about the quality of person that we should be looking at. Scripture tells us that we should not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And so, if the person that you're looking at, the person that you're considering, the person you're thinking about is an unbeliever, then right there, there is a great big X mark, you know, that we shouldn't be... Uh, trying to yoke ourselves with a person who is an unbeliever. But then also I said, look at, uh, at uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31 gives us the qualities of a godly woman. And I said, guys, if you are looking at a wife, looking at a girl for a wife, and she doesn't match up with those qualities, uh, that's probably not God's will for you. God wants you to have the very best. And please don't marry somebody thinking you'll change her and correct her and get her into the way that God wants her to be. If she's not that kind of woman now, wait until God changes her and then marry her. And then I talk to the girls and I say, ladies, hey, if you're thinking about marrying a guy, open up the book of Ephesians to chapter 5 and see where the, the scripture tells us that a man, a husband, should love his wife the same way that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And he goes on and he gives us about nine or ten verses talking about the qualities of a godly husband. If the guy you're looking at doesn't match up with those qualities, then you don't need to be getting into a serious relationship with that guy at this point. You need to back off and let God make the change in that person before that you make a commitment to that person. And so we need to... to not just look at the Scripture and say, hey, the Scripture is going to tell me yes or no about any particular situation, but the Scripture is going to tell me, am I a person? And the person that I'm working with, looking for, is that person a person who qualifies for God's will to be manifest in their life? And so uh, when we make that decision, we make that uh, determination, I am going to let the Scripture speak to my life. And then when I get my life in order with the Scripture, then I believe that I come to the place to where the, the desire that He puts in my heart is a desire that's really from Him. The other day, uh, someone was uh, kind of challenging me uh, because that, uh, you know, I tell people, I says, you need to do what the Bible says. You just need to, to follow its direction. And uh, so this uh, individual says to me, you know, that sounds a whole lot like Old Testament. It sounds a whole lot like law. It sounds a whole lot like, you know, that you've got to, you know, do all these, check off all these things. And if you check off all these things, then you qualify for God's blessing. And he said, don't you believe in grace? And I said, oh, I believe very much in grace. But let me just uh, ask you, if I were to tell you that there is a bank downtown that's giving 100% interest on any deposit that you put in it and you had a hundred dollars and you had a hundred dollars that you could go put in the bank and I tell you there's a specific bank downtown they're giving a hundred percent interest and uh, you need to go invest your money there that would be a great idea wouldn't it and said oh yeah I'd love to be blessed like that and I says okay well then what about 
uh, if you have your $100 and you're on your way to the bank and you decide to stop at Starbucks. And so you stop at Starbucks and there, there goes a bunch of your $100 anyway at Starbucks. And then while you're there, then you look across the street and you see that there's a shoe store. And so then you go in the shoe store. It was a lady, by the way. And so you go in the shoe store and you buy yourself a pair of shoes. By this point, now you've got 50 bucks left. Okay, you're at the mall, there's a bank at the ball, and you say, gee, you know, why should I bother going all the way downtown to put, my, put in my deposit? So you go in the bank at the mall, and you deposit your money there. Just so happens they're paying 2% interest. At the end of the year, your 2% interest on the $50 you deposited is one buck. Okay, if you had done what I told you to do by putting your money in the bank downtown where they're paying 100% interest, gee, I wish I could find that place, by the way. Anyway, if they're paying 100% interest, then at the end of the year, your return is 100 bucks. What's the difference? You got $1 versus $100. Why? Not because anybody's angry with you, not because anybody's chastening you, not because anybody's punishing you, but you just didn't follow the directions. There were some simple directions. Go downtown, put the money in the bank where they're giving 100% interest. Instead, you decided to spend most of it or half of it, and then you decided to invest it in another investment. When you make a wrong decision, sometimes those decisions then just don't put you in the avenue where God is moving. And so if you want to be where God's moving, you need to take time to look through His manual and see, are there some directions that He's giving me for my life? And then if there are directions, then follow them. And when you follow those directions, then you put yourself in, the, in, the, in line, you put yourself in queue to receive the benefits that He already has in mind to give you. Now that bank downtown who was giving away the 100% interest, that bank is not angry with you because you didn't come there. That bank downtown is not punishing you because you didn't come there. That bank downtown is not doing anything negative to you. It's just that you didn't get in line to receive what he wanted, what that bank wanted to give you. And God wants to give you some wonderful blessings. God wants to open up his windows and pour out his blessings on you. But he says, I have some just simple instructions here. So let's just get in line to follow them. And let's look at the word. Let's see what the word says and make ourselves disciplined enough to obey what his instructions are. The word of God is, uh, comes in two different categories. There are two different Greek words for the word word. One is the word logos and the other is the word rhema. Logos means the general message or general concept of a thing. Rhema means the specific spoken word. When I worked for Dr. Sumrall, one of my responsibilities was that I was to stand up and sell his books on his television program. Uh, we did a TV program every Sunday morning where the, he taught for half an hour uh, in like a Sunday school class. And then I had a five-minute slot where I came up and advertised his books. And then, then he came back and he taught for another half an hour. And so uh, every day, just when he was finishing up his first half hour, he'd say, and now we're going to have a word from Brother Delron, okay? So he said, we're going to have a word. If I took that literally and walked up and held up his book and said, bye, and then walked away, I would have literally fulfilled what he said, giving a word, right? And holding up the book and say, bye. And then I would have gone away. That would have been a literal fulfillment of what he had said. But the thing is, he wasn't using the word, word, 
in the meaning of a rhema. He was using it in the meaning of a lagos, a general principle. And so when I came up, not only did I just say, buy this book, but I talked for about five minutes to encourage them about the book, what the book was about, or if we were taking a tour to Israel, that they could join the tour or come to the Bible school or whatever. But I would talk for five minutes, and that was more than one individual word. It was just a general message. The Bible is the Lagos. When we uh, read the story of the sower sowing the seed, he says he goes out and he sows the word. The Greek term that's used there is Lagos. He sows general principles into our lives. But there's also another term for the, from the Greek for the word word, which is rhema. And rhema means a specific individualized spoken word. And uh, that would be, suppose that we were giving a... Uh, uh, a spelling bee. And the church teacher or the uh, principal, whoever it is that's uh, running the spelling bee, uh, says to the next student, says, uh, the word that you're going to spell is chrysanthemum. Now, I could not stand up and say F-L-O-W-E-R. You see, that's the general principle of what a chrysanthemum is, right? It's a flower. It's the general principle. But it's not, he's not using a general principle anymore. He's using it as a specific spoken word. He wants me to spell chrysanthemum, not flower. And so if I stand up and say F-L-O-W-E-R, then I'm going to be disqualified. I'm going to miss the, uh, my chance to, to qualify in the spelling bee. By the way, there's a story about a guy who was uh, involved in a hit-and-run accident. And uh, he was on the street corner. This is before they invented cell phones. And uh, so he was on the street corner. He was hit by a car. And so he was lying on the street corner, and there was a payphone booth there. And so he crawled up to the payphone and, and called 911 and told them, he says, uh, you know, I've been hit by a car. I need an ambulance. So the, uh, the 911 operator said to him, well, sir, uh, you're going to have to tell us where you are. And he looked out and he says, I'm on the, I'm on the corner of Maine and Chrysanthemum. And the uh, lady on the 911 uh, uh, other end says, uh, uh, I didn't catch that. Can you please spell the name of that street? And he says, uh, I I'm sorry. And he hung up. And so then a few minutes later, he calls back. And then the, she says, uh, uh, you know, can I help you? And he says, yes, I've been hit by a, a motorist and it was a hit and run. I've been left on the side of the street. I need an ambulance. She says, can you please tell me where you are? And he says, well, I was on the corner of uh, Maine and Chrysanthemum, but I had to crawl two blocks. Now I'm on the corner of Maine and Rose. I can spell that. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, we need to, to be able to understand that there are specific times when God does specifically speak directly into your case. And that's what's called metamorphosis. When a seed is planted and then it grows and it comes up, it looks quite different from the, from the seed that was planted, right? You plant a kernel of corn and then you get a corn stalk. You plant an apple seed, you get a tree. You plant an, oaks, an, an acorn and you get an oak tree. It looks quite different from what was planted. However, it has exactly the same DNA, right? Uh, you can take an oak and you can take an acorn. You can take it to the lab. You can analyze it. And the DNA in the oak tree and the DNA in the acorn are exactly the same, even though they don't look at all alike. And that's called metamorphosis. That's what happens when the Word of God gets planted. When the Lagos gets planted in your life, then it will grow and it will produce rhema. 
It is exactly the same DNA. It's exactly the same Word of God, but it comes out in a totally different format. It comes out in a totally different nature. When you are just reading the general principles and you begin to follow the general principles, then that's allowing those general principles to get planted in your heart. And when those general principles get planted in your heart, then they'll begin to grow out and there'll be a metamorphosis. There'll be a change and then it will become the rhema. And you will know this is exactly what God is saying to me. This is exactly what God has, has planned for my life. Hey, I started out by just following general principles, general logos, but I anticipate that the final result of it is going to be rhema. The final result of it is I'm going to know that God spoke to me and through His Word He showed me this is exactly what He wants me to do. And so uh, we can plant the Lagos and we can believe that it will produce rhema coming out of our lives. If uh, considering coming to school, you know, you open the Scripture and there's a general principle. General principle is that we should study to show ourselves approved. Workmen who rightly divide the Word of God who have no reason to be ashamed. Okay, so there's a general principle. Now, you can study the Word of God here in the school. You can study the Word of God online. You can study the Word by correspondence. You can study the Word just by doing it on your own. And so, we have a general principle that we as Christians need to study. And we need to come to the place to where that we can give an answer to every man about the faith that's within us. We have some general principles. And so, we know that the general principle is that God is not willing for any of us just to walk around like dummies. God wants us to be diligent in studying His Word. And so we plant that Logos inside of our heart. And we say, I know, God, that it's Your will for me to be a student of Your Word. And when we plant that in our heart as a Logos, then we wait and we let it germinate. And then when it germinates, then it will become a rhema. And then God will speak through that rhema to tell you, Yes, I want you to be physically in the Colorado Springs campus. Or, no, I want you to go to one of our extension schools that are started around the country or even around the world. Or, I want you to be a correspondent student. Or, I want you to do the online program. Uh, he will make that logos come alive inside you as a rhema. Now, the other thing that uh, I think about when I... Uh, counsel people about making a decision to come to school is that there's another uh, verse in the scripture that tells us that we should owe no man anything. And so I say the first thing you got to do is you got to get yourself out of debt. You know, don't come here to Colorado Springs owing a bunch of money to people back home. Get yourself in a place to where that when you come here that you know that you're not violating another principle that you are not violating a principle of God that tells us that we need to be responsible to the people that we already have debts to. And, uh, you know, the borrower is subject to the lender. He's a slave to the lender, actually. Okay, so that's the first one. That's our thumb. And the thumb is the most important because it laps over all the rest of them. That's the Word of God. And no matter whatever happens with any of these other indicators, if it violates what the Word of God is saying, then we have to ignore the rest of the principles. The next one is... The pointer finger. Uh, if I were to ask you where the men's room is, there's not a person in this room who would say, oh, it's back that way. You know, we all say, oh, it's back that way. We use this finger as a pointer, as an indicator. And uh, this pointer indicator is the Holy Spirit speaking on the inside of us. Uh, in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 through 28, 
uh, Scripture talks to us about being able to pray in the Holy Spirit. He says that we have infirmities. We don't know how to pray like we ought to. And so we pray, and the Holy Spirit helps those infirmities because He causes us to be able to pray with groanings that we would not naturally be able to utter. My uh, understanding of that is he's talking about praying in tongues or praying in the Spirit. Then he says that in the next verse, he says that we then, we know that those prayers are in the perfect will of God. And then the, the final verse tells us that then we know that all things work together for good for them who love God and are called according to His purpose. Unfortunately, most people quote that last verse out of context. They forget that it is connected to the rest of the passage, and they just say all things work together for good. If I walk out here and walk out onto uh, Garden of the Gods Road, and I don't look right or left, and I just walk across the street and I get hit by a Mack truck, I'm lying on the street, every bone in my body is broken, and I look up and I say, oh, yes, but this is going to work together for my good, because I love God and I'll call according to His purpose. That's, that's kind of silly, right? Uh, because uh, it's going to cost me thousands of dollars of hospital bill. It's going to disqualify me from uh, months, maybe years of ministry. And there are all kinds of complications that are going to come in my life that are not good, and they're not working together for my good. And so therefore, uh, you know, that verse must be used out of context when somebody says that. The thing is that it says, and, which means it links to the things before it. The only way I can know that everything's going to work together for good in my life is that I have prayed about it with the power of the Holy Spirit, through the direction of the Holy Spirit, and that I know that the Holy Spirit prayed in the perfect will of God. And so, uh, the pointer inside my life is that I have the ability, as a Spirit-filled Christian, to take every decision and to pray about it in the Holy Spirit. And then when I pray about it in the Holy Spirit, then after I have done that, then... God will begin to do things. He will begin to give me direction. He'll begin to give me understanding. He'll begin to give me insight so that then I can feel confident that whatever decision I make after letting the Holy Spirit work inside my life, that it is going to work together for good. Okay? And everything is going to find out. Everything is going to fall together in place. And so that is when the Holy Spirit begins to give direction in my life because I've allowed the Holy Spirit to pray through me and to work inside my life. Uh, Paul uh, wanted to go to Asia. And the Holy Spirit said, don't go to Asia. So then the, then the next day he got a revelation he was supposed to go to Macedonia. And so he brought the gospel to Europe. Uh, later, the Lord did allow him to go and to minister in Ephesus and in Asia. But he had a direction and God said, do it this way and do it this time. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was giving him a pointer, giving him a direction. I remember Lester Sumrall telling the story about being in Tibet. This was back in the 30s. And, uh, and he was uh, traveling by mule train through Tibet, through the hinterlands of Tibet. They came to a mountain and uh, the guide, the leader of the mule pack, said to him, uh, well, do you want to go around the right side of the mountain or around the left side of the mountain? And uh, he said, which way is shorter? Uh, and the, guy said, the guide says, well, they're both the same distance. We'll get to where we're going at the same time, regardless if we go to the right or the left. And he says, well, then you make the decision. And the guide says, no, you're the man who's paying for this trip, and so therefore you have to make the decision. And so Lester Sumrall just stepped back for a second and said, Lord, what should I do? And he felt a prompting inside of his spirit to said, go to the left. So they went around to the left of the mountain. When they got to the village that they were headed to that night, 
Everybody was, met them at the gate. Everybody was singing, dancing, clapping, celebrating. And he said to the people, he says, Why are you so exuberant that we've showed up? What, what's, what's the deal? And they said, You were the only caravan that made it here today. And he said, So, why? And they said, Everybody else was killed. They were attacked by, by bandits and robbers. And, you know, their caravan, were, were, the people were, were slaughtered so that the, so the materials and the, and the wares in the caravan could be stolen and taken. And he says, they said, you are the only one who made it through in the whole day. And they, he said, uh, well, uh, they said to him, well, how, how did you get here? And he says, well, we just came around this road that was over here on the left side of the mountain. They said, well, that's it. Everybody else went on the right side of the mountain and that's where the bandits were holed out and that's why everybody else died. You see, just having the ability to let the Holy Spirit speak inside your heart and give you a simple direction, you see, can be a difference of life and death. Those people lived because that one man just took the time to say, Holy Spirit, give me a direction. And the Holy Spirit spoke inside him and when he did, he says, go to the left. And that saved his life. The next thing is, uh, is our middle finger, which is the longest finger on your hand. It sticks out a little bit more than all the rest of the fingers. And uh, this way of recognizing the will of God is the one that kind of sticks out. It kind of stands out above all the rest. This is when that we have dreams or visions or signs or wonders or prophecies or you put out a fleece and you get an answer back or you know something like that happens. Something miraculous, something out of the ordinary, it just kind of sticks out and you feel like God spoke. And uh, you know we've all been in those meetings where that the evangelist that has never seen you before says, you, yeah, you lady back there, uh, five rows back, yeah, the one with the diamond necklace. Yeah, the Lord is speaking to me that you're supposed to give $1,000 into my ministry today. You know, you know uh, pardon me. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we have those things where that something just out of the ordinary happens. Something supernatural happens. We get a dream. We get a vision. Somebody that you don't know just speaks something into your life and you just say, wow, that must be God. And those things are true. The Bible's full of stories of people who were directed by visions, who were directed by dreams. I just talked about uh, uh, Paul going to Macedonia because he had a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. Uh, and we can indeed be directed by all those things. But the one thing I want to say is that uh, this finger, even though it's the longest finger on your hand and it sticks out more than all the rest of them, it's also a universal sign of insult. You don't ever just expose your middle finger all by itself because people get the wrong message. And that is absolutely what happens when we try to follow uh, directions that come to us by prophecies from other people or by dreams or by visions. We have to take those things in connection with something else. If somebody speaks a prophecy to me and it's not something that the Holy Spirit's already been dealing with me in my heart, then I just say, well, that was nice and I enjoyed, you know, your little, your, your little dialogue here. I enjoyed what you had to say and maybe I'll write it down and, and uh, stick it in my diary or something and, and, and just wait and see if something happens. But if it confirms what's already been in my heart, then I begin to say, hey, maybe God is really trying to speak to me. He's trying to confirm because that sign, that wonder, that miracle should be connected with something that God has already done. It should be a confirmation, not a standalone uh, event. Let's go through the Bible. 
Look at a couple of places where that people had these signs and wonders. Remember, uh, Gideon had uh, uh, an experience where that he put out a fleece, which is what uh, uh, you know some people pick up on and try to do uh, even today. But he put out a fleece, and he says, "God, you know, uh, I'd like to see a miracle. I'd like for one day the fleece to be wet and uh, and the ground around it to be uh, dry." And another day, I'd like to see that the fleece would be dry and the ground around it be wet. And so he put out the fleece. And uh, when it happened, then he was able to go and, and, and do the exploits that God had told him to do. But that was only something that happened after an angel had already appeared to him and said, Hey, you're a mighty man of valor. You see, it was something that was already in his heart. And then when the miracle came along, then the miracle only confirmed what was already working inside his heart. And so he says, now I can begin to believe that, that what I want to do, what's in my heart is really what God wants me to do. And we have a story about Eleazar, who Abraham sent out to get a wife for Isaac. He goes uh, to the village gate and he says, uh, when I get here, uh, I'm going to ask the girls who come out to the well for water. And uh, God, if, uh, the world, if the girl that I meet is the one that you want to be uh, the bride for Isaac, let her offer to draw water, not just for me, but for the camels as well. Now, he had ten camels. And if you look it up in the World Book Encyclopedia, uh, camels can drink 30 gallons of water at a time. Now... 10 camels times 30, that's 300 gallons of water. That's a lot of water. That's a lot of work for this poor girl. 300 gallons of water. And she just freely volunteered to do it. Well, you know, Eliezer steps back and he says, Wow, you know, here is a miraculous confirmation. Here's a miraculous sign. And uh, so then he offers this girl to come and be Isaac's bride. Now, however, that miracle only happened after he was commissioned by Abraham to go. And when Abraham sent him out, Abraham said to him, the Lord will be with you and the Lord will prosper you. He already had something inside of his heart that was a word from God, that was a direction, that was a pointer saying, this is what God's going to do. And then when that miraculous sign came along, all it did is confirm it. And so, ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to make a decision about coming to school, be very cautious that if some kind of miraculous sign or vision comes, that it's, you only take it as a confirmation of what God's already put in your heart. If God's already put that desire in your heart for you to be here, and then something miraculous turns around and you say, praise God, that's just a confirmation, and then you can go in faith without doubting. And uh, even though that we meet all those difficult circumstances that Andrew was talking about, about, you know, what about my job? What about my apartment? What about all those things? It, even though that you have those questions, even though you have those different uh, difficulties, even though you have those challenges, you say, I have the, the, the direction in my heart, and now I've also had a supernatural confirmation. How can I doubt? In the mouth of two or three witnesses, I'm going to go ahead and take that step of faith, take that plunge. And then the next one is uh, the reason that we have to use your left hand instead of your right hand because we talk about your ring finger. Uh, your ring finger is the one finger that represents a covenant relationship that you have. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people that I'm good friends with. There are a lot of people that I trust. There are a lot of people that I enjoy being around. But there's only one person I go home and go to bed with every night. Because there's one person I have a covenant relationship with. And you need to be people who have a covenant relationship with someone in the body of Christ. 
It may be an elder at your church. It may be your pastor. It may be another person. But someone that God puts in your life to where you have a relationship with, to where that that person loves you and that person uh, honors you and that person cherishes a relationship with you. That person uh, loves you enough to tell you the truth, even when it might not be what you want to hear. Uh, And, uh, you know, I have uh, a lot of friends and I can sit and talk to my friends, but they don't get into my life the way my wife does. You see, my wife gets into my life and she just can be ruthless sometimes getting in and saying, you know, you need to seriously think about what you're saying or what you're doing or the direction you're taking. You need to seriously uh, reconsider and, and make some different kinds of decisions. And she can be ruthless getting inside my life and she can also be uh, the most powerful reinforcer inside my life because that, that is a person that I'm in covenant relationship with. And spiritually, we all need to be in in a covenant relationship with some person or some group of people who love us enough to tell us the truth, even when it might not be what we want to hear. Uh, And as I've already mentioned, uh, you know, being a college dean for 25 years, I dealt with a lot of people who were in that uh, arena uh, or time frame in their life where they wanted to get married. And uh, I remember a lot of them would come to me and they'd say, Oh, Brother Delron, we're in love and we're getting married. And I would know by being in a relationship with them in a leadership position with them that it really wasn't a godly decision they were making. A lot of them were in heat rather than in love. Anyway, and uh, I, remember, I remember one particular girl... And I just really knew what was happening. Uh, She was an American girl uh, from a fairly wealthy background. The guy that was courting her was an international student. And I'm positive that the reason that he was courting her was that he knew that he could get American citizenship by marrying an American student. And, uh, and, he, and he snowed her. He, caught, he convinced her that that was the will of God. And she came to me for prayer and counseling before they getting getting married. And I said, this is not God. I just know it's not God. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. Instead of just saying, oh, hallelujah, let's do it. I said, I love you enough to tell you the truth. I don't think that this is God. Anyway, they got married. Eight years later, she calls me up. Oh, Brother Delron, Brother Delron, you know, I'm so miserable and we're having such a horrible time. And, all, and she's going on and on and on and on. And she says, don't you have a word, a word from God for me? And all I could say is, honey, I had a word from God for you for seven, eight years ago and you didn't listen. You know, and now I really can't tell you what to do to get out of the mess that you're already in. And so we need to put ourselves in a place to where that we have an a accountability to people. And when you are going to make a major decision, like a career or, or, uh, or marriage or even you know, coming to Bible school, there are people that you can trust that when you ask them, can you pray with me, they'll genuinely pray. And there are people who will love you enough to listen for God to make the sacrifice, to let God speak to them. And then when God speaks, then they can give it back to you. And then the last finger is the smallest finger on your hand. It's the weakest finger. uh, And it represents the circumstances. You know, God will change the circumstances. He'll make things work together so that if you're supposed to be at a certain place, that that's where you're going to be. Like, for instance, the Word of God tells us that we should uh, preach the gospel to every creature, right? Right? 
Okay, so you're on an airplane, and there are 200 people on the airplane. Okay, and so it's the word, it's the word of God, it's the direction of God that we should preach the preach the gospel to every creature. But that doesn't mean that if you're sitting in row 36E that you're supposed to preach the gospel to the person who's in row 17A. You know, can you imagine you're in 36E and you stand up, hey, you up there in rows, uh, what did I say, 17A? Uh, you know, and you, you disrupt the whole airplane shouting to the person who's way on the opposite side. No. The, the next way that you can know the will of God is that the circumstances. He puts you in 36E, and so the person in 36D is probably the person you're supposed to share the gospel with, you see, not the person who's in 17A. And so we will have circumstances that will come in our lives that will let us know this is what I'm supposed to do. And when you are making the decision about coming to Bible school, if you have prayed in the Holy Ghost and you have let the Holy Spirit work inside your heart to give you the desire of your heart, and then He will, the next step, He will make sure that all things work together for good for them who love God and are called according to His purpose. If you love God and you're called according to the purpose of being here, He will make it work out so that you will be able to get involved in the online school if that's His will. He'll make it work out. The circumstances work out where that you can uh, go to a local campus, an extension, if that's what He wants you to do. He'll make it work out that you can move to Colorado Springs and you'll have a job and you'll have an apartment and everything will fall together because He always does it. Because when we uh, trust in Him and we delight ourselves in Him, then He will make the desires of our heart come to pass. Amen? Amen. God bless you. I look forward to seeing all of you in class.